Well, awkward is an adjective that has been used in a couple of provincial leadership campaigns in Canada recently. One looks next door to Alberta, for example, with Danielle Smith's process of replacing Jason Kenney. Awkward came up an awful lot in that uh, political situation. And awkward is the beginning of the description of the leadership race for the NDP in British Columbia, which yesterday saw the party declare David Eby to be premier-elect. Mr. Eby has not yet indicated a swearing-in date, but it's a done deal, however awkwardly. Here to talk about it, a veteran political analyst from the Department of Political Science at UBC. Always a pleasure to say good morning to Professor Max Cameron. Good morning, Max. Welcome back, sir. Good morning. Thank you very much. Oh, it's great to have you back with us, Max. Awkward. Now, did that occur to you more than a few times over the past few days? Oh, absolutely. No, this is a situation that really I don't think anybody wanted. Um, you know, my hunch is that Angelia Podare, when she was uh, taking on this campaign, was hoping to push the party uh, to address environmental issues, I think probably surprised by her, her own success. And then to be disqualified in this way, of course, is uh, deeply, deeply frustrating. And it's a real shame for uh, for David Eby, who this was to be a crowning moment right. uh, in his career. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's, is, I think, quite bruised by it all. And we know from history that that can be very hard for a leader going into an election. So it certainly is, is, is indeed awkward. Yeah, it is. And of course, here you have the left-wing government of British Columbia being criticized by the left for not being quite left enough. And that alone is awkward. It is. And, and I think that the truth of the matter is that there's a growing sense that we are in a climate emergency and that the NDP, uh, really particularly since it broke with the Greens and the uh, confidence of supply arrangement that was in place uh, after the 2017 election, uh, that the party has really embraced uh, Site C, uh, LNG, has not delivered on its promise with respect to uh, ending old growth logging and so forth. And so there's a very strong uh, current within the base of the NDP that just feels that this party really isn't fundamentally different from the party that uh, that it, it replaced. I think that, combined with the fact that the party has not done enough to invest in uh, party organization, I mean, the fact that you've got just 11,000 members um, down from over 40 uh, thousand some some few years ago um, really suggests that uh, you know it's a problem that political science has been pointing to for years. Parties increasingly are vehicles for candidates, and they're not uh, they're not um, they don't have the kind of presence uh, in in uh, the everyday life of their members that, uh, that that once they did. And and so I think a combination of those two things um, plus add add onto that uh, an uncontested race. And I think it's this is why you want to have competitive elections. Coronations are, are really just not a good idea for parties. Had there been competition for that role, there would have been energy being put in by other members of the party to, to drum up um, memberships. Yeah, Max, what we're talking, uh, you've just given us a couple of really good examples of people taking things for granted. David Eby, for example, at least on the surface of things, appearing to take the challenge by uh, uh, by Anjali Apatarai for granted, uh, although behind the scenes, apparently there was a lot more going on than met the eye. But on the other hand, as you're talking about the party membership falling to the low level that it currently sits at, it's more surprising, I think, Max, because the party has this really solid majority in Victoria, and they are absolutely in charge. One would think that during this period particularly, the party would take advantage of that and multiply its membership rather than reduce it. Well, since you mentioned majority, I have to say that I think that there is uh, an, an electoral 
um, system story to this, and that is that while uh, governments are in minority positions and they have to reach agreements with uh, with other parties to govern, right. you actually find them more responsive to the public. It's when parties have majorities that they tend to ignore uh, those parts of the public and even their own membership um, that is inconvenient to them from the perspective of the other big job they have, which isn't just to represent their base, but it's also to compete successfully uh, with other parties to, to win elections. And, and so uh, you know, I, I think that, frankly, um, had, had um, the arrangement with the B.C. Greens persisted, you would have seen more of an effort to find a balance between development and protection of the, economy, of the, of the, of, of the environment. Now, we, of course, uh, had this whole situation where uh, the, the uh, forces uh, opposing Mr. Eby, that's the supporters of Apaturai, uh, were disqualified by Elizabeth Cull, uh, the uh, leadership campaign uh, director, uh, and for various reasons uh, that she saw as being significant and substantial. Uh, will, do you expect an appeal at all, or is this over? I suspect it's over. I mean, just, just listening to what Apaturai has been saying subsequently, it, it sounds like she's quite clear this is the beginning, not the end. But it doesn't sound to me like she wants to litigate this so much as I think there'll be a, more of an effort um, to try to uh, gain ground within the party. I, it, she's not signaling that she's leaving the NDP and going to the Greens, although suppose, I suppose that, that that could very well happen. But I think the sense is um, that uh, that uh, the, the longer-term strategy um, is is going to be to continue to try to influence the, the party to move it uh, toward taking the environment more and more seriously. And it may very well be the case that, that uh, David Eby um, recognizes the awkward position he's in and decides, in fact, that what he needs to do is to act to address uh, some of these concerns uh, with, with more energy than his predecessor did. Do you think that uh, Apaturai and her supporters are going to e- eventually cause an erosion within the membership, limited though it may be already with the NDP, and perhaps a movement towards the Green Party, which they certainly would welcome, even though they're not officially requesting any such move? Do you see one coming, Max? Well, I mean, I think what people, what some people within the NDP would say is that many of these supporters actually would find their natural home with the Green Party, and that's yeah. where they should be. The unfortunate thing about that is it really sends out a signal to people who care about the environment that they're not welcome in the NDP. That, I think, is unfortunate uh, from the perspective of the NDP. Um, so, in some sense, that may in- indeed be what, what uh, many people within the party, certainly that's the, the way that John Horgan has, has tended to, to speak. He tends to speak um, his his... Um, his, his language suggests that he really thinks that people who take very seriously the idea that we're in a climate emergency as, as being radicals and extremists. If, if that's their view, yes, I do believe that many of these people will uh, go to, to the Green Party, and they are likely to be a beneficiary in terms of members. The Liberal Party, on the other hand, is likely to be the beneficiary just in the sense that if the NDP finds itself uh, losing public support and looking more vulnerable, they are the more natural uh, um, alternative to government. I was just going to say, there's got to be some kind of benefit in this, there's some kind of real upside for the opposition in all of this as they watch this incredibly awkward process unfold. Uh, they've just gone through their leadership, and now they're going to probably do some kind of name change before the next election. But this, uh, they would see this as being low-hanging fruit, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think both the Greens and the Liberals would be able to say, we have internal democratic processes 
and we're, our leaders are a reflection of that, and that's just not the case of the NDP. I mean, the NDP basically lost control um, of the leadership selection process and wound up having to disqualify someone. What, whatever you think about the arguments, whether they were valid or not, to complain about you know dogwood assisting a powder right. to get uh, as many members, um, the fact of the matter is it looks very much to be the case uh, that, that she had brought in so many new members that, that, that she had stood a very good chance of winning. The party looked at that and said, this would be a disaster for us. She'd have no support in the caucus. She's never held public office. She'd take us in a very different direction. Um, that would create a host of problems. One can understand uh, the, the fear and the, the concern that that would cause within the caucus and within the, the leadership. But it just doesn't look like uh, the NDP at this point uh, has a functioning internal democratic process for se- selecting its leaders. And I, I think that's just very, very damaging, unfortunately. Interesting stuff. Almost out of time here, Max. And speaking of the democratic process, do you anticipate, for any reason, an early election call by David Eby? Or is he going to spend time the beat? between now and the next officially scheduled provincial election, rebuilding fences. I'd be a little surprised. I mean, I think that they, they went for a majority government uh, in order to have a, a, a long enough life to um, be able to position themselves as best they possibly can. Now with this uh, situation, I think that EB is going to want to establish himself and to, um, you know, beca- become, uh, for British Columbians, become familiar with him. Uh, he is an, an, an immensely... Um, effective politician. Uh, we've seen his work in a range of areas as, 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 as Attorney General, mm-hmm. his work in housing and, um, and ICBC and so forth. I think he's going to want to continue to burnish his credentials and to try to uh, put this behind him before uh, running into, you know, call, calling the writ, dropping the writ and, and calling an election right away. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. Give it some breathing room. Create some space. Max Cameron, always a pleasure, sir. It's been forever since we had a chat on the radio. Let's do it again, well, before forever comes around again. That would be fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on again. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.